Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning, and thank you guys so much for leading us this morning. Um, it's, it's a privilege to be able to worship God with all of you, and even though this is not our uh, normal a normal size group that we were used to a year ago or a normal location. It's just a can really feel God's presence with us in a sense of community and worshiping God together. Um, today we are uh, continuing our series on discipleship, which we've been in uh, this entire fall. Um, and just by way of recap, uh, for those of you that are joining us or may have missed a few weeks, uh, we, we spent four weeks earlier in this fall talking about what discipleship is uh, and, and uh, talked about it as, as a relationship and as following Jesus and his transformation, growth and transformation. Um, and uh, and we, we learned that discipleship is not a word in the Bible, but that there are these 12 ordinary men uh, that were disciples that had a relationship with Jesus, that literally followed him around, and in doing so were transformed to become more like him, to become different people. And so we now look at that process, and we call that discipleship. And have, because of the Bible tells us we can, we have the audacity to think that um, we can have that same kind of relationship with Jesus, that 2,000 years ago, those 12 probably late teenage Jewish males, that now, thousands of years later, people of all ages, all genders, all nations can now also, in the same way, follow after Jesus, be in a relationship with him such that we are changed to be like him. Um, we are right now in the middle of four weeks talking about our response. Uh, not so much what it is, not so much what discipleship is, but how does it happen? What's our action? And we are following a series of four weeks um, uh, that we are, uh, that, uh, we are, we are using uh, the words listen, walk, serve, and uh, watch. Um, and, and we're in the second of these four, these four weeks. And so last week we talked about listening to God's word, that a part of how discipleship happens is listening to God's word in the scripture. Uh, next week, we're uh, going to hear from uh, Jacob about serving others and how our discipleship happens, our relationship with Jesus happens through serving other people. Uh, and then two weeks from now, uh, we are going to be hearing from Shay about watching, watching, uh, watching each other as examples of faith as a part of discipleship. And today, we are talking about walking through hardship. That is sort of like a downer of a topic, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> walking through hardships. It's, it's, it's not a fun topic. Unlike, and also, unlike the other three weeks, it's not really something that you, we should go looking for if it's missing, right? The other three weeks are talking about things we want to have in our lives, and if we don't have it, we should go out looking for it to make it happen. Hardship doesn't really work that way. It's not really the kind of thing where, oh, if you're not going through hardship, go out, the application is go out there and try and have a terrible week. You know, that's not uh, the way it works. But it is something that, that will come our way. And certainly in 2010, it is, there's more than enough ways for it to come uh, our way. 2010 or 2020? 2020, sorry. Like, we all, we wish, we, 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 and, uh, and see what you think. See how this lands. So first of all, maybe to help you, I'd like for you to think about the main hardship in your life right now. 
the main hardship that, like, if you think about this is the trial or hardship that is the main one I'm facing on a day-to-day basis or the first one that comes to mind. Think about it. I'm going to read this passage um, from James, and, uh, and then we'll see what you think. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Consider it pure joy. How's that land on you? (laughs) That doesn't mean uh, that we should enjoy hardship. That's sort of hardly possible or mentally unhealthy, I think, if we do. Um, or, Or that the more hard your life is, the more joyful you should be, right? Again, that's not a sign of a healthy a healthy wired person. But I'm telling you, I am here this morning to convince you, and truth be told, to convince me that there's something that comes to us in trials and suffering, something that comes only through that means, something so valuable that even if trials don't bring us joy, we consider them joy, right? Consider, it doesn't say that trials are joy, but that we could even consider them joy. Let me pray for us. God, we're dependent on you uh, at all times for our whole lives and for our breath that we breathe. And at this moment, as we seek to look into James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we are dependent on you to work in our lives to convince us of the truth of something that will not come to us naturally, or that we could have a view on how you see trials and suffering in our lives that is so different than ours, but can, would, would your spirit work through Uh, My speaking, but more even than that, with our listening to you and your Holy Spirit, would you work something in our lives this next few minutes that we would be able to do something crazy, that we would consider it joy, not that we would feel joyful, but that the thing that you bring us in our trials could be so precious to us that we might even consider the means that is trial and, and, and suffering to be just like joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and there will be many kinds, many kinds of trials. I want you to think about the trial again, the, the hardship that I asked you to bring to mind, and sort of hold that in your mind. And I want you to think about, think of that right now as I look at, as I go through different kinds of hardships that we go through, the different kinds. Uh, there is, there's the hardship that is the normal cost of doing business of your station in life. So no matter what, like if you do, whatever you do in life, there's a hardship that just comes with a package, cost of doing business. Both my sons were pitchers. If you're a pitcher, you're gonna have a sore arm. That's just the cost of doing business in your life. If you are a parent of a newborn, you're gonna lose sleep. That's cost of doing business and so on and so forth. Um, Whatever the role is that you have in life, whatever you're doing, there is a hardship that's just the cost of doing business. So is the hardship you're thinking about, is it that kind of hardship? There's also hardships and trials that are no one's fault per se, but are just part of the tragedies of living in a broken world. As Christians, we believe, and we don't have time for this sermon right now, but that God intended the world one way, but because of us, it went another way. And therefore, all of life is sort of out of kilter. And that everything is sort of off, and we call that a fallen world. That's a word that Christians would often use. And in that kind of world, things happen. Accidents happen. Tragedies happen. Diseases, pandemics, things like that, that that are things that happen in a broken world. And that's also another kind of hardship. Uh, There are also hardships that happen 
that's, uh, that are the result of someone doing something to us, you know? That's so someone else's fault. Um, someone wrongs us. There are hardships. There are real hardships that come through things that people do that are sinful and wrong, and that creates hardship for us. And lastly, there are types of hardships. There are trials that come because of things that we do wrong. They're our own fault. We do something, and then as a result of that, we bring hardship amongst our, on ourselves. So I want you to go back again to that main hardship you're facing. Which one of these four is it? Um, for some of you, you'll be able to identify it pretty closely. I also think that for some of you, um, you'll realize that it's not exactly, like it might fit in more than one of those boxes, right? Um, so the, the point of having those, the, these different kinds of hardships are not so, so that it, it neatly falls into one, there, it's very possible that your hardship fits into multiple ones of those, but it probably fits into at least one, maybe two, or more. Um, now, James says that this hardship, whatever trials you face of many kinds, is a test of your faith, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And this phrase is where we're going to mostly camp today, that our hardships are a testing of our faith. Now, um, sometimes if you're experiencing something, you're, gonna, you're saying, oh, that's a test of my faith. What do you mean by that? Often that means, like, this is so bad, it's making me sort of test my, my optimism. Often when we say this is a test of my faith, like, my, I, I have faith that things will go well, and this is testing, I might not think have things that are going well. That's true, but that's not really what we're talking about in James. Or um, sometimes you might say it's testing my faith, usually as a joke, but... But uh, people say it's testing my faith. It's like saying, I'm having such a rough time, I'm thinking of abandoning my faith. Now, that, actually, that, that does happen, although I would say most people, when they say it's testing my faith, are saying it more as a joke than the fact that I'm really thinking about abandoning my faith. But that really also happens. That's also not exactly what James is talking about. This, this testing is, is more a sense of like authenticating. So like, you know, like if you, if you have jewelry, people will sort of look at it. You know, sometimes you jewelers will sort of look at it, and apparently they're looking at something to see whether it's real or fake. Or like what's all over the news right now, right? We, the people are saying we want to authenticate the votes, right? We don't want presidential, there's a presidential election, in case you haven't noticed, and there's all these conversations about, oh, is this vote, like, should it be voted? Is this a valid vote? Is it not a valid vote? And, and in some states, they're recounting the votes, and, and so it's authenticating. It's saying we want to make sure that what, it, we thought it was, it actually is. And that's sort of what this word is, is, is saying. So it's saying that when trials come our way of various kinds, all those kinds, whatever it comes from, it tests our faith in the sense as it, it shows the realness of it. It shows the realness of it. Now, how is our faith shown in trials? I'm just going to uh, illustrate that. And I'll try to go through a couple of the different types of, of, of hardship and show that how it authenticates our faith. So um, uh, the normal trials of our station in life. So Tracy is an elementary school teacher. So one of the trials of, that's normal to being an elementary school teacher, and many, many, maybe others too, but particularly being an elementary school teacher, is the first four weeks of school. At the very beginning of school, everything's new. The kids are new. They're in new environments. You're, and, and there's this trial at the beginning of the year trying to get... Um, this disordered kind of thing into some sort of order so that you can start learning. And it takes usually four weeks and sometimes longer in, ele in elementary school. And that's a trial. It's a lot of extra hours. It's a lot more effort at the very beginning. That's a normal trial. Now, with, um, with the pandemic, uh, we are now going on like 
I mean, how many weeks? It's got to be like 14, 15 weeks. That's, it's still like the first four weeks of school. Like, it's exactly like that. And as a matter of fact, it's like the first four weeks of the first year you've ever taught. And it's, and it's looking like it'll last at least till Christmas. And that's if nothing changes between now or after Christmas. And that's a, that's a trial that's a part of, uh, that's a part of work. It was part of the job. Now, uh, one of the things that's been happening at Tracy's uh, work is that people are talking, you know, and they know each other at school. And people have been noticing that there are some teachers at the school that follow hard after Jesus. Um, and they're sort of known as that. And they've always sort of been known for that. And it was just like, it's something about their lives. Like, oh, these, these people like to play baseball. These people like to, like, really like to follow Jesus, right? There's just something you know about people and you may think it's a good thing. Um, but then they're starting to talk and say, hey, we notice that those people are actually flourishing. And there's this conversation. And actually, they use the word flourishing, which is something that we've been talking about here at this church. Now, I guarantee you that if you ask those teachers, they don't feel like they're flourishing. They feel like it's a trial. But, but yet, something about that trial, if, if it hadn't gotten so bad, their faith would not have been authenticated in the same way. You see what I mean? Like before it would have been, oh, they're, they're admirable. They're really dedicated to their faith. And there's somebody else who's really dedicated to like working out. And that's also admirable, right? Like it's, it's, it, it would have been more like in that kind of category. But the testing of their faith um, is producing something. Um, so that's the that's trial of our, uh, in everyday life. There are also tragedies uh, of being part of a broken world, and maybe what you're facing is also one of those tragedies, those hard things. Uh, one of my uh, colleagues, so I'm, a, um, I'm one, uh, this, on the weekend, I'm a tend vessel like you. During the week, I'm a missionary to the college campus. I've been uh, um, working with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a college campus ministry for many years. And uh, one of my uh, colleagues that I've known for a while is she's, uh, you know, she's older than I am, and she's married. To, she's been married, lifelong married to a doctor, and he's in his 60s. And a couple years ago, he fell off a ladder and hit his head on the concrete and uh, had, a, had a significant brain injury. And so walking with this colleague in the last couple years has been like, how do you readjust to life, to marriage, and to, to, to faith even when you're, uh, at first we weren't sure he was going to live, and then what, what amount of his physical and mental uh, capacity is going to come back? Um, as it turns out, he, uh, you, I'll, I'll read a little uh, excerpt from something she wrote. But he did get most of his physical health back, but not, like he couldn't go back to his former job. So um, let me read something that she wrote. And th- she's a nurse, by the way. She does nursing ministry. She's, she's a nurse writing to nurses. There are a few words in here that I do not understand. But I think like Micah and you know, others would know what these words mean. So. <laughs> when my husband was critical after a severe traumatic brain injury, STBI, in 2018, I asked the pastors and elders of my church to come to the intensive care unit and pray for him. We surrounded Richard's bed, cried out to God, anointed him with oil, and prayed for healing. What they did is based on a passage in James. We don't have time to go into that, but that's why they use the oil. Um, The healing I envisioned was for Richard to be restored to who he was before the accident, doing what he did as a kind, godly physician caring for people. Two years later, Richard has expressive aphasia, uh, impaired coordination, problems with cognition and judgment, falls asleep easy, and other effects of STBI. He recovered well physically and is able to exercise and perform manual labor under supervision. Did God answer our prayers for healing? Recently, I dug into the book of James. On the day I studied James 5, 
which is the passage that says, if, you, if, you, uh, if anyone is sick, call the elders of the church, anoint him with oil, pray for them, and he'll be healed. Richard was volunteering at the Union Rescue Mission, where he daily cleans, moves boxes and food donations, and whatever they ask him to do. Out of nowhere, the thought came to me that before he was hurt, Richard was, above all things, a servant. As a doctor, he was known as a caring and faithful, a man of integrity and service. He did whatever needed to be done, big or small. It suddenly hit me. God did raise up and restore my husband. Not in the way I had imagined, but in the ways dearest to Richard and to God's heart. In a conversation with her, she said, you know, back then, if you asked him, if you were to lose everything, what's the one thing you wouldn't want to uh, lose? And she said, in a second, he would have said, serving God. Although different, Richard is the same. A caring, faithful, reliable servant. I shared this insight later that day with Richard, and we cried tears of gratitude together. You see, God didn't care whether he's a doctor or whether he was moving boxes at the rescue mission. God sees the same thing here. That is an authentication of faith that was made only possible through trial. Um, I actually discussed this, pass, this same James passage with Kathy, you know, um, before, and, and it is, it's a hard one. It's like, she, she, it's one of those things where it's like, I do not want one more person to read James, you know, James, or like Romans 8, all things work together for good. Like none of those, don't read any of those verses to me, right? So it's not what you feel like in the moment. But trials authenticate our faith in a way that nothing else can. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 4 that describes it. It, it contains a lot of imagery. So some of you may, uh, it, it contains a lot of fancy language and imagery. So if you'll follow with me, some of you might connect with it more easily than others. But in 2 Corinthians 4, that talks about what this is like. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. So literally vessels of clay. It's the same word, jars is the same word, vessel, that we use in our church's theme, uh, theme verse from uh, Timothy. We have this treasure in vessels of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. The next verse goes on to say, so death is at work in us and life, while life is at work in you, meaning that we feel like death, but everybody else sees life. You get that? So that, that is describing the sense of being, it, it sounds terrible, right? Being struck down and knocked over and all these kinds of things. It feels like you know, he's in a boxing match here. Um, but, he's, but he's saying that you're struck down, but, but not out for the count. And it's not this heroic thing of saying, I'm like, you know, if you've seen, if you're of a certain age, Rocky Balboa, like keep getting up and keep getting pounded, right? And I'm this hero for that. It's more a sense that in the trial, in the suffering, I experience death as a Christian, but everybody else sees the glory of God. That's what comes through trials. Uh, there are two more uh, categories of where hardship comes from. And I want to tread on these carefully. Um, one of them is that we have hardship from other sins that they commit against us um, and hardship from your own sins uh, that you've committed yourself. And we're going to go here and I want to tread carefully. Um, these are very sensitive areas. And actually the stories here are quite sensitive as well, particularly stories that are um, streamed and posted on the internet. Um, and so, uh, so, uh, so that's why I'm not going to get into specifics, but knowing all of you, um, and 
having conversations with all of you, I know that, that many of you have had hardships that have to do with somebody else, some other wrong that's being done. Some, it wasn't just like an accident. Something, somebody did something wrong. And that's been some of the hardship that you've experienced. Um, uh, without getting into specifics, I know that some of you have stories of this happening in family. Some of you have had this happen in work. Some of you have had this happen in church. Some of you have had this happen in court. Um, some of you have had situations that involve more than one of those four at the same time, if you will. Um, and I can tell you that I have seen your faith authenticated. I've seen your faith authenticated by how God has, how you um, walked out as a follower of Jesus in the midst of that. Not by, by not retaliating, even showing acts of kindness. By being focused on God rather than on the wrong, even when someone wronged you, and even when no one maybe even believed that it was something that they were doing wrong. Um, I, the, the first place where uh, church where I was an elder, I was younger, and there were three, three main pastors at the time of, of the church that I was there. And they were very gifted, and they all had strengths and weaknesses. But the thing I will remember is the various, like during the time I was serving there, I got to be, uh, I got to be close enough to the, the circle, the, the pastors, to know the hardships they were going through. And what I remember about each of them is how they went through the various hardships in their families, in their work, um, and, and, uh, and just seeing how that, that um, you know, there's many of them I would, you know, I was close enough to, to them to be able to sort of be able to, to see like, oh, here's some really strengths and weaknesses, but God really shines. Like whether or not they're good at whatever part of their pastoral job, God really shone um, in their hardships, and particularly some places where someone did something wrong. Um, let me give you some friendly and gentle advice about this. Um, about uh, a hardship that's someone else's fault. Um, some of us go here too easily, and some of us go here not easily enough. In other words, some of us are very quick to assume that if there's a hardship, it's someone else's fault. Um, and, uh, and then some of us here don't go here easily enough. We, we try to brush it off and sort of say, well, it's not a big deal, or, oh, it was probably something I did. Um, that's why we really need, we need community to help us discern this, because it's not... It's, um, it's not helpful to go too far in either direction, right? To sort of uh, go right to, the, to, to like this is somebody else's fault or to the sense of being unable or unwilling to say, hey, that was, hey, that was pretty wrong. Like what happened to you? That was wrong, right? Um, so uh, just uh, some friendly advice about it. It's real. We need each other to navigate it. Finally, um, there is the hardship uh, from our own sin. So not only is our faith authenticated by how we deal with the hardship of our regular everyday life, the hardship of a fallen world, the hardship of being wronged by others, but our faith is authenticated by our facing of hardships that are our own doing and our own fault. And again, I want to say, uh, begin with a brief word of advice, is that some of us go here too easily and some of us go here not easily enough. You know what I mean? Like some of us are really quick to say, oh, it's my fault, I did something wrong, I must have done something wrong. Um, and some of us, maybe more like me, are able to say, you know, oh, nothing's really my fault. I was like, nah, it was unavoidable. You know, so, um, and so, it, and so uh, again, this is one of those places that's tricky and quite sensitive. But it's it's super important um, for those people who go here too easily. If you're the kind of person who really easily like um, says, oh, I did something wrong. I feel so bad about that. Um, I want to read a verse to you. Say that Second um, Corinthians seven ten says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret 
but worldly sorrow brings death. So um, that's a whole other sermon, but I just want to throw that one out you that how you can tell whether you're getting too much into it is regret, right? Like if you feel like you've done something wrong, that's good. We all do things wrong. If you feel regret, that's a sign that that's not the godly sorrow. That's the kind of sorrow that's going to lead to death. That's just going to like tear you up inside. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, which actually repentance doesn't mean feeling bad. Repentance is like turning. It's, it, it means like doing something else. Like, oh, that was not good. I'm going to do something else. I'm not, you know, that don't want to do that. I want to do something else. That's repentance. Regret is, oh, man, like that's going to follow me the rest of my life. Oh, that's, that's, that's really weighing on me. Oh, I just, I, I just, it just, it just sort of has got a hold of me, and I, that, that past thing has just really gotten me. And I know that some of you are in that place, um, and so I just want to say that word for you is that regret is not godly sorrow. That godly sorrow is, is, mere, is, is repentance and brings life. Um, now, the final word is for those of us who don't go here very easily, who have a hard time saying, you know, I, I can talk about hardship in my life, but I'm not really so up for, like, owning that hardship is my fault or I brought it on myself or it's, you know, um, that, that I did something that caused hardship to myself or others. So for those of us, I, I, I cannot say this strongly enough, this is the fundamental authentication of our faith. It is the fundamental authentication of our faith. Let me say that another way. Our sin and guilt is the fundamental qualification for us being a Christian. Let me say that again. Your sin and your guilt is your fundamental qualification for being a Christian. If you don't have it, you can't be a Christian. Like, so if you lack sin, then there's nothing for you for Jesus. So the, so the, the, the presence of the suffering and guilt of, of things that we have done wrong, small or large, that, that weigh on us, that is our qualification. Um, we are going to respond... Um, by taking communion. And so what we're going to do is um, one of these is going to be passed out to you. We're going to get one of these passed out to you. And if we can have um, the worship team or someone from the worship team come and play, um, we're going to use this to sort of, thank you, um, to, to respond. Because this is God's ultimate answer to trials and hardship and suffering. It is probably true that uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's true of a, of a good workout, of, a, of sort of developing as a person. But at the end of the day, like trials and suffering by themselves without Jesus are not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being a tough person. We're not talking about uh, being able to, to gut it through. We're talking about the fact that there are trials and suffering in this world and that Jesus came into this world to be a part of them. And that the most, the, the, the most fundamental one of these is actually the suffering and the guilt that we caused, not someone else's fault, although that's true, but ours. Um, in the suffering, that this tells us, um, this, this, is a, the, this physical thing tells us, so, so we, we, uh, we're going to take, take this communion in a moment, I'll give you a, a chance, I'll instruct us about what to do here. But uh, Christians remember Jesus' death and resurrection by uh, taking a bite of a wafer or a bite of, of bread and drinking a sip of grape juice or wine. And, uh, and we do this to remember that Jesus became physical. He became part of our world, and he suffered. And he suffered along with us, with all the hardships that all of us experience. In the suffering of our daily work, Jesus suffers with us. In the tragedies of daily life, Jesus suffers with us. 
in the pain of being hurt by others, Jesus suffers with us. But get this, but in our own guilt, in the suffering of our own making and that is entirely deserved, Jesus, does, Jesus doesn't just suffer with us. He suffers for us, in our place, on our behalf, so that we do not have to bear that anymore. That is the good news. And we do this uh, as often as we, we can as we gather as Christians to remember that it is the body and blood of Jesus, not just some neat stories, not just some great ideas, not just a cool community, but a real person who came and died and was raised again, that that is the answer. Not a, not a religion, uh, but a person who did something for us. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.